When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to another edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast, recording on Monday, December the 16th. Whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, listening on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, live or archive, wherever and however you're getting the Tech Sideline Podcast, we are so glad that you could join us today, recording in the afternoon on December the 16th. Malcolm and I had exams this morning, so we pushed back the start of the TSL Podcast this week. We have the same crew as always, Malcolm behind the scenes producing on the podcast set. We've got our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. A lot to get to today. We are going to be talking a lot about football. We'll be discussing Caleb Farley announcing his return to Virginia Tech for the 2020 season. We'll be talking at length about the coaching staff that Coach Justin Fuente is putting together for next season. We'll talk recruiting as the early signing day is this week. And we'll talk a little bit of basketball later in the show. And as always, at the end, we will get to your questions. Be sure to be dropping those now for Malcolm. A reminder that this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with a moving violation. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Uh, first time I get to say this this year. Uh, good afternoon, guys. How are you guys doing today on this Monday? Doing all right. Yeah, doing well. I thought you were going to say something like Happy New Year or Happy, happy New Year. Yeah, <laughs> happy, uh, no. happy, what, two weeks out to Christmas? We're in the, in the middle of December here. Um, so is this, is this the last one you're going to be able to do? That's what I was, I was going to get to that towards the end and kind of highlight some highlight. But this is my final podcast of the 2019 calendar year. calendar year. Yes. So I took a my last in-person final here this morning. Malcolm had his. It sounds like both of us did well. That's a positive. So in case you guys are wondering, uh, Evan is just a junior. So we have him for the rest of this year and next year. Uh, if, he, if he doesn't hold out for too much of a pay raise. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've got a lot to get to today, guys. A lot, a lot of news. And uh, even though football is not playing right now, I think everyone thinks it might be a little bit of downtime here when football's not in session. That, that's really not that's the case. Not, not the case this year with all the coaching changes and signing day coming up in a couple of days. Uh, basketball season going on so it's it's been full speed ahead for sure yep one, one thing i want to do uh will i wrote this down in my notes because again we're talking about christmas coming up in a couple weeks i was just getting my christmas shopping done uh, a little bit earlier over the weekend uh, of course a great christmas gift could be to become a uh, tsl subscriber also we've got some great tsl gear on our website and i thought uh, i'd let you kind of talk about that if you wanted to so for gift subscriptions uh i don't think the yeah, the promo shows up if you're on your phone. Um, so uh, just look on the homepage for there's a there's a little graphic, a little square graphic with a real nice Christmas present. And it says something about uh, giving Tech Sideline as a gift. Uh, we only do 
annual subscriptions as gifts, which is okay because like, you know, uh, interesting factoid, something like 80% of our subscribers are annual, not monthly. Um, so 85 bucks for a, uh, for the gift that keeps on giving all year round. <laughs> and I don't mean jelly. jelly month. The month club. <laughs> <laughs> Clark, it's a gift that keeps giving all year round. <laughs> Uh, and the, the, the TSL gear is a little more, more obscure and harder to find. We really need to do a better job of promoting that stuff. I think from our site menu, if you access the menu and the more section, I think it says the more menu, I think it says shop TSL gear or something like that. Yeah. As you have on there. These are always very popular. You've got the Yeti cups as well on there. I love those. We do, I guess. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah, I don't know that that's or Yeti. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not, yeah, I always but, refer to the Yeti. Uh, yeah. But it's a, it's yeah. a Yeti type it's cup. A we, we got all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we got, a lot of stuff. Uh, magnets and T-shirts and, and a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So hit that. You've got the jacket on. Chris has got the polo on. I've got my shirt at home. Uh, again, techsideline.com, the place to go. Okay, let's dive into it because we've got a lot to get to. I want to start with a little bit of, of lighthearted news because it actually made national headlines over the last week uh, in the NFL, and that was uh, the Edmonds brothers all playing in the same game for the first time since the 1920s that's happened in the NFL with the Duluth Eskimos, <laughs> uh, who yeah, became the Chicago Bears. But oh, wow. Tremaine... Trey and Terrell Edmonds all playing on the same field last night. Buffalo beat Pittsburgh. Of course, Tremaine is on Buffalo. Uh, Trey and Terrell are on the Steelers. And it was really neat to, to watch them do a couple of interviews in the, the week leading up and to talk, hear Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth talk about it last night during the telecast. What do you guys think about the Edmonds brothers all playing in the same Did Virginia game? Tech get mentioned? I, I heard that they were mentioned. I did not. I was studying no the exam No offense to the Edmonds family, but that's what we really care about here. Did Virginia Tech get publicity? I'm sure, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Right. Um, and I know that Tremaine and Terrell both led their respective teams in tackles as well. How about that? So, yeah, good night for Tech. Yeah. Good that night was, for the Edmonds. That was really did cool. Did Trey get to carry the ball? Any no. idea? No. Ever, ever since they got their running backs back healthy, he's back solely being a special teams yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. I remember from from their from their time at Virginia Tech, wasn't there a cool photo of all three of them on the kickoff team? Yeah, they all lined like up right next to each other on the Man, kickoff team. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, and you know it goes back a couple of years ago when Tremaine and Terrell were both taken in the first round, and that was really a big deal because I don't think that had ever happened before. Probably not. In the NFL draft, two so, brothers yeah. in the yeah. first round, and uh, both are off to tremendous starts in their careers. The two of them, uh, Tremaine's one of the top young linebackers and all of the NFL. He's still right only now. 21 years old. Do, doesn't he have the record for uh, youngest uh, player to ever intercept a pass in the NFL? Probably. That could, there, there is something that he said as the youngest player. I don't have that off the top of my head. but okay. he, so, so the guy's still 21 years old, and he's just about to finish his second full season as an NFL starter. Wow. Yeah, and the Bills are uh, ten and four, I believe. That, that, I mean, that, that, he's like, he's, he's going to be like twenty three when his rookie contract expires. That's LeBron like, you know. LeBron yeah, started yeah. when he was what eighteen or so. It seems like he's been around forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it's looking like both of them are going to be both teams, the Steelers and the Bills, are likely going to be in the playoffs together. So you can watch the Edmonds brothers. How in about the those Jets and Dolphins? Are they going to be in the playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long decade, Will, for both of our teams. So the Dolphins were winning something like if, ten to seven. They had promotion. If they had promotion relegation in <laughs> like, in, like in American sports. It would be amazing because some of those leagues, there's actually a relegation playoff. Like the worst teams will play each other in a playoff to determine who gets relegated to the. But second they have division. to win. Right? You have to win to stay up. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So you would have to win the game to get the first draft pick, right? Uh. <laughs> 
I guess yeah, technically with the way I, the NFL draft well, works. Right, right, right. They should yeah. have a little four-team playoff. The four worst teams in the NFL get to play for the right to get the first draft pick. All oh, the Jets geez. and the Dolphins, we could be playing every year. Because NFL so. players love playing more games. Well, uh, the, see, the thing is they would all intentionally tank it. In, in a relegation playoff, ideally, you don't – I mean, everybody's playing their tails off. Because they want to stay in. Because if you get dropped to the second division, your salary gets cut by half, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, as well, a bu- well, I'm saying you'd have to win the four team playoff in order to get the higher draft pick, not lose. Oh, right. I got you. Okay, that would make sense. So, yeah, yeah, no more tanking. Hey, real quick, worth mentioning, if you bring up the Dolphins and we're talking about Hokies and the pros, Isaiah Ford against the Jets a couple of weeks ago led the Dolphins six catches, right? With, with six receptions close to 100 yards, and the Jets could not stop him. Um, shocker. So, so he's a guy <laughs> who had about three career catches coming into that game, and the Jets couldn't stop him. How does that make you feel as a Jets fan? We can talk about it. All the time. <laughs> like, 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 like I'm watching Virginia. You're Tech happy basketball. for Isaiah Ford. I was fun. very happy for Isaiah. Ford. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't cheering against him. I was very happy for him. So, anyways, that's a little hokey in the pros news to uh, start off the podcast today. Okay, let's jump into the news that broke today on Monday, December 16th, and that was that Mike Barber of the Richmond Times Dispatch was uh, the first to report that Caleb Farley will return for the 2020 season for Virginia Tech. There was some speculation if maybe he would declare for the NFL draft, but he is going to stay in Blacksburg for another year. Chris, your initial thoughts when you heard the news? Uh, Exceptionally talented player. Great decision, I think. I think he's got first-round potential. I thought Tim Settle had first-round potential, but he was just in such a hurry to get to the NFL. Yes, he was. He was just – he just – well, he's an NFL guy. He was not not collegiate guy at all. And he was just in such a hurry to get to the NFL that I think he cost himself money. Uh, and Farley's not making that same mistake. So I think by staying a year, Farley's going to improve, you know, by two or three rounds, most likely. And, th- and that initial rookie contract will be worth a lot more money. I also wonder, uh, you know, he set out the UVA game, UVA game with back spasms. So I wonder if there's something going on there that uh, might not medically check out with NFL teams and uh, whatever it's a smart decision whatever the, the mm-hmm. major motive motivation for it is and it's nice to be able to keep a guy who you know is arguably the best cornerback in the country let's go ahead he's, and say he's it. one yeah. of them yeah he's yeah. way up there that, that's just incredible to be saying a year after you know he didn't have that great a season mm-hmm. in 2018 chris pointed it out and we have some stats to back that up uh, cam mellor of mm-hmm. a pro football focus right. at pff underscore cam put out a couple of tweets uh that kind of put into perspective just how good statistically Caleb Farley was this year. So first one, I've got three. First one, lower lowest passer rating when targeted on go route concepts. So minimum of 10 targets, Caleb Farley, (laughs) 0.0. Okay, that's the first one, okay? Uh, The second one is lowest passer rating when targeted on in-breaking routes, minimum 10 targets. Jermaine Waller, 8. Point eight. So keeping the theme going with the tech cornerbacks and then going back to Caleb Farley, uh, another stat that was really interesting, highest coverage grades from all of the FBS cornerbacks, mm-hmm. whether that's group of five or power five, number tied for fourth, Caleb Farley, 90.3. And who are the guys ahead of him and where do they go to school? Amik Robertson of Louisiana Tech. Okay, Sean, so he doesn't, he doesn't face power five talent. Sean Jolly in second of Appalachian State. He doesn't face Power 5 talent. And then Trevon Diggs of Alabama, he does number face three. Power five talent, he he so, does, yes. yes. <laughs> so, and then he's tied with Derek Stingley Jr. of LSU, 90.3. And I believe Stingley Jr. is going to be a top 
draft sure. choice in a couple of years if he's coming out this year. But anyways, I mean, so let's back up a little bit. Are you telling me on go route concepts yes. that no one completed a pass? <laughs> no one on completed a pass on him all year. And Bryce Perkins has a uh, 20.9% accuracy rate on passes 20 plus yards downfield. So, if he's if Farley's in the game and for that play, Nobody, no, but not one person has completed a pass on that play against him all year. Uh, uh, and they still arguably did not complete it on that play. Right. Right. You know, I go back and I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. The podcast that we did after the Pittsburgh game in the 2018 season. So not this year, the year before. And I think the discussion we were having was, is Virginia Tech lacking talent or is Virginia Tech talented but young and I think not just Caleb Farley but you look at this entire defense as a whole clearly the answer was just a lot of youth on that team yeah so so let me interrupt and say here that that when you've been doing this as long as I have and these days as long as Chris has because he's been working for us since 2005 you you know I, I think everybody wants us to make these profound definitive statements about things but it gets to the point where if you've seen enough you're just not sure anymore because I didn't say it publicly, but I was pretty sure that Tech didn't have any talent at cornerback. Well, you were wrong. Well, they didn't. They were talentless at certain spots. Like there wasn't much at defensive tackle last year, right? Uh, Jared Hewitt was solid. Ricky Walker was good, but he wasn't healthy. But they were, the rest of the defensive tackles on that team shouldn't have been playing. Well, I was specifically talking about corner. Okay. I mean, I just then again, well, Bryce, well, I'll, Bryce I'll, Watts started most of the year, right? That's correct. Uh, and, that's correct, and, and they Watson. played and they played Quillen a whole lot too. Right. So you're not wrong, but I, but I was specifically thinking about uh, about Waller, and uh, I don't know how much we saw him last year, but uh, only about a hundred snaps, if yeah. that. Okay, so, so you didn't you didn't I just my my lasting image of Farley is I think he was trying to catch Darren Hall, and and Darren Hall just knocked him down on the way to his seventy yard touchdown or whatever. Well, and and this year there's actually no evidence that his tackling has improved. It's uh. It's it's he hasn't been a, he hadn't had to make any tackles this year because the front seven was actually good. <laughs> well, there you go, and, and and that's the thing. He took a lot of heat for that last year, but I don't, there there weren't that many cornerbacks that were exposed to as many one on one tackling opportunities as he was last year. And cornerbacks are your are the worst tacklers on teams generally. And and I think we've had some good tackling corners come through Tech, and and you know Flowers and Jimmy Williams kind of spoils. Like but Jimmy Williams, woof. Kyle Fuller. It, it, it kind of spoils you to yeah. Kyle Kyle's technique wasn't good, but he could take people down. You know, he'd dive in with the shoulder and everything. Mm-hmm. You mentioning Jimmy Williams, the guy who's now on Twitter, no, Jimmy no, Williams, yes, that guy. <laughs> three thousand followers in just an hour. <laughs> yeah, no. He was analyzing film as one of his first tweets, I believe. Uh, yeah. Actually, well, know, he was she was showing his own interception against Maryland in that yeah that bloodbath. So, Let me. Uh, let me ask you guys this about Caleb Farley again, having such a great year this year. We just backed up with stats coming back for his junior season. That's the news of the day. You mentioned all these great cornerbacks Tech has had. Does Caleb Farley have a chance to put himself in that upper echelon conversation of, of top cornerbacks in Virginia Tech history? Yeah, and you know, Brandon Flowers was as a redshirt freshman, he was a backup, played a little bit, but you could tell he was very talented. And then he was great as a sophomore and a junior, and then he left. Jimmy Williams wasn't moved to corner until his junior year, but was you know great for two years uh, before he went to the NFL. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think you have to have two years like that before you really cement, cement yourself as, as one of those top top guys. But yeah, if he's as good next year as he was this year, then absolutely in my mind, I I, I think 
you know, if Tech doesn't have a top 10 defense this year, I mean, they had a top 10 defense every year back in the 2000s much, when Jimmy yeah. Williams and Brandon Flowers played. So if Tech's not in the top 10, I don't necessarily think the fan base will, will remember Farley for being as, as good as he was. Um, well, the other thing that enters into it is interceptions. You know, yeah. I, I think uh, – um, Well, he had four – Tied for the ACC league. Yeah, so so if he gets more, you know, if if you have, that's what uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. That is, uh, so I think I think like when your team loses in basketball, criticizing free throw shooting is just you know just the the first thing the the simple mind goes to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't phrase it as well as I wanted to. Well, I mean, but, every, but I, everybody's I, mind goes. But there. I think a lot of people looking at cornerback play, oh, how many interceptions did he have? And that's where a lot of the hype is. Oh, he had seven interceptions this year. He had eight, you know. Um, that That isn't really uh, – that that's a way Jimmy to Williams judge. only had one as a senior. Yeah. And that okay. was in the Miami game in 2005. So it was the most forgetful interception. Wow. Yeah, yeah something that uh, people don't remember. So anyway, you know, that may color their perception when in reality, if they're not throwing at you at all, then right. you're not getting any interceptions. And and Virginia Tech also doesn't uh, – I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, their sack totals are pretty good. But quarterbacks don't get pressured these days like they did back then. They get rid of the ball so quickly. Uh, the Virginia Tech defenses of, of the past, a lot of the interceptions were created by tremendous pressure on the quarterback. And guys kind of chucking the ball. And Tech up. has to blitz to get pressure these days. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. it's coming from right up the middle with Deshaun Crawford. Yeah. Again, um, he actually, to quote Caleb Farley, he told Mike Barber of the Richmond Times, "quote I'm looking forward to coming back, finishing this the right way, going to get the cup back, referring to the Commonwealth <laughs> wow. Cup, and trying to win a championship at Virginia Tech." I, I heard. Quote. I heard Farley was torn up after the UVA game because you know he had that injured back and he thought he was going to be able to play, and he dressed out. He painted his face and everything and thought he was going to be able to play, gets out there for warm-ups and just can't do it. So he feels like he let somebody down because he didn't play in the game. So and I, so I heard he was particularly – I mean, all the guys who played in the game were distraught, obviously, but he might have been more distraught than most of them simply because he didn't play in the game. Yeah, he's and he's one guy you can look at and you could say, man, if he had played, this game might have ended up differently. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. Again, that's the news of the day for us, uh, for us here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, on December 16th, Caleb Farley returning for his junior season in 2020. We transition now to what we're going to probably spend the most time on the Tech Sideline Podcast today, and that is that Coach Justin Fuente continues to build out his coaching staff at Virginia Tech. Over the weekend, it was announced that two coaches are coming in on the defensive side of the football. Former Minnesota head coach, uh, Tracy Clays will be hired as the linebackers coach. And then 2005 All-American Daryl Tapp will be returning as a defensive assistant coach for Virginia Tech. Of course, this is added on to the news that Justin Hamilton will be the defensive coordinator. Adam Lechtenberg will be the runnings back coach. When you saw, though, Daryl Tapp, and I think that's the headline, coming back to coach at Virginia Tech, what jumped out at you? Uh, I was I was good with it. Um, I, th- I think Tapp was a really good player, but he wasn't so talented that he could get by on talent alone. People always wonder why we don't hire, like, D'Angelo Hall as cornerback's coach or Bruce Smith as defensive line coach. And and you look around football, whether it's the NFL or college, you rarely see an elite player get into coaching. It's always the fringe players. Even in baseball, the best managers were those catchers who went up and down between AAA and, and the Craig Council. The, uh, Crash Davis type. Crash right? Davis type, exactly. Yeah. The, the guys with a real good hit they, who have to be mentally smart players 
to have a chance to succeed. And those are the guys that make the best coaches. And Tap was talented, but he he wasn't so immensely talented that he could just get by on talent alone. He had to work really hard. Bud Foster would probably consider Tap to be the embodiment of the lunch pail mentality, at least in the, the decade in which he played. I think I saw a snippet that he was he either the only guy or one of just a tiny number of guys who were allowed to actually take a lunch pail with him when they left Virginia Tech. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I know for, uh, like, the two the la- those last two years he was at Tech, I don't think – I think he had the lunch pail every every game, every time. Uh, you, you have pictures of him at the uh, after the West Virginia game in 2005, and he comes to post-game interviews with the media with a yeah. lunch pail right yeah. there. Um, and I, I remember just uh, back when scrimmages were open back then, and you know you, you'd roll over on Saturday, watch a scrimmage in the spring or in August or whatever. Tap would be the first guy on the field with that lunch pail, go out there and get three sacks against Tech. Sorry, offensive line. Then be the last guy off the off the field, lunch pail and tow. You know, I mean, that was I'm pretty sure he took that thing with him everywhere. He checks a lot of boxes. He does. Uh, NFL experience. Uh, he's from the 757. Uh, doesn't have coaching experience. That's one box he doesn't check. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he, he you can you can learn how to coach. Well, All right. And he's stuff, not he's going to be Virginia Tech's defensive line coach. Virginia right. Tech is going to be hire an experienced defensive line coach. And, and Tap is going to learn from – under this guy while while recruiting and and that's the thing about the 10th assistant spot these days is i think tech is doing some unique things with it they did something unique with lechtenberg where he wasn't coaching a specific position he could just he could be used as an evaluator recruiter stuff like that tap is a guy that they believe has an extremely high ceiling as a coach but he's not quite ready at this point to coach a position um once he gets some coaching of his own in a couple of years, that's probably a different story. But now, because of that 10th assistant spot, you can actually bring him on, put him on the staff, use him as a recruiter, and have him learn from a more experienced defensive line coach. And and that means, you know, in two or three years, if Virginia Tech is on the market for a defensive line coach again, you, you don't have to go on the open market against a bunch of other schools with more money. You've already got your guy if he develops as a coach, as everybody thinks he will. So it's a smart hire from my standpoint, I think. Uh, He's got a really good personality. Tech fans are going to like him when he goes out on – and does these recruiting events and, and stuff like that, and, and probably yeah. the 757 as well will send him. Will, yeah. just, just to add on his thought about recruiting, I mean, and expand upon that, Daryl Tapp recruiting a region that he went to high school, Deep Creek High School, was so talented there. I mean, how, how valuable is that, not just to have an in-state recruiter, but someone that just knows the 757 inside and out? Well, Zon Burden knew the 757 inside and out. He went to high school out there, so yeah, go, go, uh, go ahead. I just well, want to point well, that out. It is valuable, but it also – he can also, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, he can also refute the notion that Tech doesn't put defensive linemen in the NFL. Did Tap also play defensive tackle? He did. For, for some, I think he played with the, when he was with the Eagles, I think in pass rushing situations, passing downs, uh, they use him as a pass rushing defensive tackle. Man. So he can say, yeah, I played 12 years in the NFL, and I played two different positions, and I'll help get – playing at Virginia Tech helped me get that versatility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, do want to read the quote. Again, this is from the press release put out by Virginia Tech Hokiesports.com from Justin Fuente about Daryl Tapp. Quote, we've wanted to find a way to bring Daryl Tapp back into our program for some time. If there is one former player who I've consistently heard Bud Foster use as an example of what it meant to play defense at Virginia Tech, it's Daryl Tapp. 
close quote. Went on to talk just more highly about him. But that's a pretty strong statement there from Coach Fuente. So let's before we move on, let's go back to the recruiting thing. You know, recruiting is about hard work and organization mm-hmm. and relationships. If he does the hard work and he's organized and builds the relationships, one of the things that I think might be missing from the modern era of recruiting that was more important in the past was just – driving around when in-state recruiting was really big for Virginia Tech, just driving around and visiting high schools and visiting coaches, whether they've got players or not. I don't know if Daryl's still got family in the 757. You would assume he does. Hey, man, go home for the holidays and just, you know, or or during the summer or whatever and spend some time just going around to the different high schools and getting the lay of the land. I wonder if modern coaching staffs get hung up on – graphics and videos and things like that and don't just do the legwork well they spread themselves too thin because they offer 250 players well and that's the other thing you know instead of offering 70 80 90 guys you can go you can go look it up on on 24 7 some schools offer offers offer in air quotes whatever that means as many as 350 players 400 you know the the ridiculous schools i think we've seen tennessee do this one year they will have out over 400 offers. And you're right. That's a lot of kids you got to track and a lot of people you got to communicate with and a lot of people you got to do graphics for and all that kind of stuff. So there's more to it than just saying, hey, I'm Daryl Tapp. I played in the NFL and I'm from around here. Put a bow on Daryl Tapp. Uh, didn't really realize this, how lengthy of an NFL career he had. So go back to the beginning of his career, Seattle 06 to 09, Philadelphia 10 to 12, Washington in 2013, the Lions 14-15, the Saints in 16, and then as late as Tampa Bay in 2017. So wow. this guy was in the NFL two years ago. I mean, that's that's a pretty long career to think about. He played with Michael Vick in Philadelphia in 2010 yeah, and 2011. To playing, he played with Jameis Winston in 2017. I mean, just to show the yeah. the lifespan that he had in the NFL. So, Interesting. Uh, really, really fascinating. That's as long a career as just about any tech defensive lineman has had. Yeah. Besides, like Bruce Smith and probably who was uh, was it Robert Brown. I don't know how long Robert Brown's career was. It was it was pretty long. Yeah, um, but other than those two guys. That Taps had the longest defensive line career, as far as I know. Well, players these days in general just don't play that long. Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, also worth mentioning, too, just kind of personally, as we talked about what he, em- he embodies, the lunch pail and all that, uh, he was the Mike Utley Spirit Award recipient, an honor presented annually by the Detroit Lions of the player who exhibits tremendous spirit, desire, dedication, and work ethic. So he, he got it done in the NFL, too, just in terms of off the field, right. on the field leadership. So, again, he's coming in as a defensive assistant uh-huh. is what the title is. Yep. Virginia Tech will hire a defensive line coach. That spot is still vacant, as Chris alluded to. Let's talk about the other big hire that Virginia Tech had, and that's bringing in Clasey Trays, a former – Tracy Clays. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don, <laughs> thank you. Sorry. Well, well, we've done dozens and dozens of podcasts with you, and that kind of mistake is rare. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Tracy Clays, linebackers coach. He will take over for Bud Foster, who's not only, of course, the defensive coordinator, but the linebackers coach. A former Division One head coach at Minnesota, of course, has strong ties to Jerry Kill, and he is someone who brings a – a lot of experience uh, in, in terms of coaching to this Virginia Tech defense. When you saw that hire, Will, what what stood out to you most? Uh, well, we, we, we knew it was coming. We were, we were told, and, and we, I think we've talked about it on the podcast or, or in articles. Um, what's not to like about that hire? Now, people are like, oh, can he recruit? Mm, I think Justin Fuente is filling his staff with enough guys that 
that that I think recruiting will be a focus. I'm not sure that's going to be Tracy Clay's thing. I think he's he's the old head on the defensive coaching staff to to help the young guy. Everybody assumes that's going to be Bud Foster. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's funny. Chris and I have talked to two different sources, and one of them said Bud Foster is going to help with game planning and coaching, and the other one told me, uh, no, I don't really see that. I think he's going to be more of a fundraiser type. So that's interesting. Uh, but anyway, um, he let's see. He was defense coordinator at uh, Minnesota, head coach at Minnesota, defense coordinator at Washington State. And, you know, like I said, what's not to like? That's a lot of experience on a staff, on a defensive staff, that has areas where they don't have a lot of experience. So that's, that's my take on it. Uh, I think uh, that Fuente is um, he's working very hard to remake this staff into what looks like a young staff. And, you know, again, I said, I said, I thought this where it was headed about a week ago and everything that's happened since then kind of reinforces it. A young staff that can recruit and is assisted by coaches who have been around a little while. Yeah, it's uh, when you put together a staff, it's it's like doing a puzzle. And Fuente said that in his interviews this past week. He was like, you know, I don't necessarily make a change because I think a guy's a bad coach. I'm just trying to make the staff fit together the best. Yeah. And he wants to improve recruiting on the defensive side of the ball, particularly the defensive line where Tech – Tim Settle was drafted and Daddy Nicholas was drafted. But before that, you have to go all the way back to 2010 before – you find another tech defensive lineman who was drafted. And I know that Jason Worlds. It was Jason Worlds. And, and before that, it was Chris Ellis in 2008. So basically, over the last 11 or 12 NFL drafts, you've had four players drafted. Yeah. And even a couple of those guys, three of those guys played linebacker in the NFL. That's right. Now, only one of those was actually played de- uh, defensive line in, in the NFL. So I think Fuente is tired of hearing that on the recruiting trail. And, and I think that's why he, he's making changes, obviously, to defensive line coaching. Um, I, 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 it's about getting enough recruiters on your staff and balancing them out with good coaches. Obviously, if you have the budget of Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, you can fill your entire staff with guys who are proven recruiters and coaches. Yeah. Uh, the rest of us can't do that. There has to you have to t- uh, there has to be a proper balance. You have to take a risk or two every now and then w- w- with a tap or a Justin Hamilton or something like that. But when, when you take a risk, at one of your spots, it's at least one of your spots, it's ideal to have a really good veteran coach. And that should probably be at linebacker because linebacker is the spot, in my opinion, where recruiting matters the least, particularly at the Mike spot. I mean, you know, Vince Hall is not, not going to tear up a, a combine, right? right? Um, Jack Tyler was a walk-on. Um, Rayshard Ashby – you know, he's going to get laughed at at the combine when he puts up numbers <laughs> well, there. I mean, seriously, no, it's a little harsh. A little harsh <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's like who's pudgy or him or Josh Jackson. Right, right. Um, but he's just a, but those he's guys are football pure football, football players, player, right? man. So recruiting matters less at the linebacker spot uh, for, for me. Um, I think you want your best recruiters on the defensive line and, and in the secondary. That's my opinion. Um, so I, I think well, you can get a guy like Clay's, who's a former head coach, a three-time Broyles Award nominee. I mean, that, that's a pretty knockout hire for just a linebackers coach because that guy can go and be a defensive coordinator somewhere and do a good job. Yeah, it makes you wonder how long will he be a right. linebackers coach. Yeah, who knows. Yeah, yeah and his one full season as Minnesota's head coach, 9-4 and four record uh, with the Gophers. Uh, that, those nine wins were the – most it had uh, earned since winning 10 games in 2003. 
So yeah. just to kind of put that into perspective and kind of going back on your point you made too. I mean, with, with Justin Hamilton, we mentioned this on the podcast last week, but surrounding himself with experienced coaches, I'm sure having a guy like Tracy Clay's can o- only help him. I mean, not, not just a former defense coordinator, but a, a former head coach on his staff. Yeah. And, and I think uh, it's important that Justin Fuente uh, lay the ground rules on, on, who's in charge, what, what are the lines of communication, you know, what, what is expected of each member of the coaching staff. It may not be that cut and dried, um, you know, and how, how can I expand upon that? Um, well, there were issues at Washington State when he resigned in the middle of the season <laughs> with him disagreeing. He and, and a Mike Leach assistant having incredible disagreements. Now, that was a situation where he was a defensive coordinator and it was the secondary coach. And and Leach sided with his longtime his second the secondary coach yeah rather than yeah. the defensive coordinator so yeah. Clay's quit, um, but that's a Mike Leach program, you know I, I love Mike Leach and think he's a great coach but I don't think he runs the tightest ship in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so it, 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 that's that's a that's a layer to this and and especially there may be even another facet to it after we find out who the defensive line coach is going to be. Yeah, you're going to have a mix of of. T- to me, if if you think of the staffs of the past, you had you had Bud Foster's longtime defense coordinator, clearly the boss, clearly in charge, Charlie Wiles. There was. Um, you know the 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 secondary coaches kind of came and went mm-hmm. over the years. Um, well, but, Tech but I, always had a really good one, whether it was Whammy or whether it was Torian. But I think the chain of command was fairly well established. Yeah, sure, and, no doubt. And when when you've got a guy who's been a, a defense coordinator two different places and a head coach for a year, and he's the linebackers coach for a defense coordinator who this is his second year as a full time coach at a P five program. You know, just make sure the sure. the the lines are drawn properly. Yeah. And, so if it's about balancing your staff, and I'm convinced the tech is going to have an experienced defensive line coach. Yeah. Um, so what do you do with your cornerbacks coach? Uh, have you determined that you've already got enough young recruiters on the staff with Tap and Hamilton? And, and the defensive line coach could be one of those guys who is fits. He could these days coaches start so young that they could have both experience and they're still young and yeah. be a good recruiter, right? Um, so the defensive line coach could check all those boxes. So what do you do with your cornerback spot? Um, do, do, do you go with the Daryl Tapp hire again, somebody young and relatively inexperienced, so you try to get somebody with a little more experience there? Yeah. Uh, so that that's up to Fuente. What, what he, whatever he feels like is the best balance. Uh, it, I could see him going in either direction. Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. That's right. what I think. And recruiting, recruiting, recruiting is where we are headed next right. on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Before we do that, any final thoughts? You just mentioned the corners coach and the defensive line coach. Anything uh, you want to mention on that? Yeah. I don't think you'll learn who the DL coach is until after the bowl game. Well, we, we can talk about who we think it might be, though. You want to do that? Yeah, if you want to go for it. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we got told last week that a couple things. Number one, there was an affiliation with the Buffalo Bills. And number two, the announcement wasn't coming until after the bowl game. Yeah. So I, and those I, two things go together. Go that makes sense. And I, I, right. Um, because the Bills will be in the playoffs. Yeah. And they'll likely be done either after that first week or the second week. Okay, so then I started doing some research. 
And uh, I started just, you know, looking at the Buffalo Bills coaching staffs year after year after year and discovered that at one point John Blake was the defensive line coach for the Buffalo Bills. He was Fuente's head coach at Oklahoma for mm-hmm. a year, I think. Yeah, that's when Fuente transferred. And, 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 and that's Fuente transferred out after that year. And then Blake later went on to uh, – North Carolina and got them put on probation. Pretty much single-handedly got them put on probation. I mean, he, he got slapped with a three-year show cause, yeah. which meant he couldn't even coach in college for three years. Yeah. So I'm just sitting there looking at that going, hey, he would never do that. And then I chuckled and went went on to something else. Well, so, uh, so the current Bills defensive line coach is a guy named Bill Tierlink. His father was a longtime legendary NFL defensive line coach. And uh, Tierlink has coached at the Colts. He's coached in college at Nevada. He's been with the Bills now. Uh, also coached with Justin Fuente at Illinois State. Yeah, at Illinois State. So there is a connection there but in their past where they coached together. Um, we had heard that, that Fuente had told the staff that he'd already hired one coach and that it was a big-time hire, but he didn't tell them who it was. We assumed at the time that that was Clay's, but I don't think it was Clay's. I think it might be Tierlink, the, the Buffalo Bills defensive line coach, because everything adds up. He can't get announced until after the bowl anyway because the Bills are going to be in the playoffs. He heard there was a Bills connection, and they coached together in the past. Yeah. And so that just makes sense to me. And I did research on NFL coaching staff salaries today, and your average NFL assistant coach makes between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars. Well, Charlie Wiles made two eighty at Tech. I mean. Tyrone could potentially get a raise by coming. Coaching salaries is is one area. Correct me if I'm wrong. Where college is caught up with the pros, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of these like Alabama defensive line coach is going to make half a million, right? Right. He's twice as much he'd be making in the NFL. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, I would not. If I was in Vegas, I would place a small sum of money on, on him being <laughs> Texas. Not, not not a large sum, but I, I certainly think it's it's a strong possibility that that could happen. So there you go. That's the last thing we have to say about the coaching. Okay, there we go. Let's move on to recruiting because the early signing period is this week. It is. And the Hokies have been busy on the recruiting trail over uh, the last week or so since we did our last podcast on Wednesday. So I've got a couple of players to go over. Um, and the first one we'll bring up is the one that was the first news that came out since our last podcast, and that is a Tyreem Powell, who is Virginia Tech's highest recruit at the time for the 2020 class, flipped from Virginia Tech to Rutgers. Uh, he is a New Jersey. Uh, he's from New Jersey. So going with Greg Schiano and Rutgers, mm-hmm. was that a surprise to you? And uh, what does that mean uh, in terms of this recruiting class? Uh, it's hard to say what it means. Um wasn't a huge surprise. You know, once I saw Shiano was taking the helicopter in there. Uh, Tech doesn't do well against helicopter coaches. Although in, in, the in recruiting. In, in they're in recruiting. Like coaches that fly in. Like Larry Fedora used to fly in and, on, on Friday nights and watch. Uh, who was that defensive lineman? Oh, uh, I don't remember Jaylen, his name. Jalen Dalton. Yep. Jalen Dalton. And he and Jalen Dalton loved that. Coach flying and see me on a helicopter. So he picked the UNC over Tech and – Obviously, he picked style over substance because he never lived up to his, to his potential as a defensive player. He could have been so much better yeah, at Virginia Tech. He could have been much better player yeah. at Tech, most likely. Because he looked by the by the end of his career, that kid looked apart. He was big and yeah, definitely. Man. So I don't I don't think it really says anything except, of course, that Greg Schiano is again going to put a huge 
role, a uh, huge emphasis on in-state recruiting at Rutgers. Just like so, so you weren't time. you weren't around for the first Greg Schiano's go Schiano go around at God. Rutgers. I mean, um, I remember uh, er, you know Eric Legrand and the story about him, the linebacker, yeah, yeah. and the, and then I do remember Ray Rice being there, um, uh-huh. kind of towards the end of his tenure at Rutgers, and then of course being signed as the Buccaneers well, well, head Rut- coach. Rutgers was a terrible program when he was hired, uh, just just like they are now. And he came in and he really got those New Jersey kids to stay in state. Uh, I don't know what he says to them, but he's just really good at pitching loyalty to the state. And uh, um, a school that that, I'd have to go look at how things have been going in the state of New Jersey lately, but a school that tends to hurt is Penn State. I think Penn State Mm -hmm. mines New Jersey for for whatever talent is there. I'm all for that. Oh, yeah. If Shiano (laughs) want to make it difficult for – Penn State to recruit in New Jersey, you know, <laughs> thumbs up. That, we can do another podcast on that. <laughs> Will and Chris's thoughts on Penn State. But uh, Shiano also benefited from the departure of, of Miami and Virginia Tech for the ACC, I yeah. think. There was a time period there in, in like the mid-2000s where Louisville and Rutgers and I guess WVU were all good programs, and Big East football was pretty exciting. I remember uh, – don't, don't grill me on the details here, but I remember a uh, – a game that, that Louisville and uh, Rutgers played one night where they were both, I think, top ten programs. Yeah, that was like a Thursday night game or yeah, something like that yeah. at Rutgers. And, yeah. and, the, and Rutgers had that kicker, uh, Ito? Yeah, I don't I, I think they called that. him the judge because his I think his I think his name might have been Jeremy Edo or something like that. And he kicked a game winning field goal and turned up and, and when Sky Cam was new, pointed at Sky Cam after he kicked the game winning oh, field goal. I mean, oh, that's amazing. This was exciting stuff back then and then Rutgers, you know Shadow left and they were and they went right back into the yeah. tank. So he's he's a guy that has proven in the past that he can win there now. Win in the Big Ten, I don't know. So that was Tyreen Powell. That was the one that tech lost. However, some news Good news for Virginia Tech the last couple yeah. days as we transition. Uh, how about last night there were two commitments in a span of 30 minutes, it felt yeah. like, on Twitter. First one, three-star offensive lineman Caden Moore decommitted from Bowling Green and Scott Leffler and committed to Virginia Tech. <laughs> Man, these kids got to know when I sit down and start watching Netflix on Sunday nights, they need to hold <laughs> off their phone until the next Stop morning. It. Yeah, my uh, wife kept saying, quit looking at your phone. And I'm like, well, I did know. say I went on TechSilo.com this morning. And I saw an article from Chris. I was like, that man was working hard last <laughs> night. There's no doubt about it. Well, but, it, yeah, they, they had a bunch of Texas kids in town. And, and I was looking at Twitter. It must have been about 820 or 830. And somebody I'd never even heard of before that we'll get to here in a second said committing at nine. And, and Hokies were piling in. And I thought, oh, so I called Chris up and I said, I think the, I think the commitments are getting ready to start. And Caden Moore went first. Yeah, he, and again, that was someone who, who flipped to Virginia Tech. Anything that you, you pointed out in your article that's worth mentioning? Uh, he plays offensive tackle in high school. I envision him as And some defensive of tackle, but he's an offensive guy. Yeah, uh, I think he's a guy that, that needs to drop about 10 pounds. Uh, but I, I think, he, he, I think he he's a naturally to, aggressive guy. He needs to reshape. Re, re, yeah, right, right, reshape. Uh, I, think, I think he's a naturally aggressive player, and, and, that, and that's a good thing. I mean, other other things can be developed. I, but, I'd call yeah. him flat out mean. Man. Yeah, yeah, he's you got could, a mean streak. He's got a seven minute long uh, highlight film, and and that kid likes pancakes. He looks like he likes to eat yeah. them and dish them out, yeah, man. No I doubt. mean, we're talking. He would lock into people, and uh, I don't know if it's just bad high school officiating or not, but you can tell he's perfected the art of that in close grab. Right, and then he drives guys into the ground. Yeah, if he, if he gets, falls on if top, he gets of his him. hands inside of you. It's over. Um, yeah, and he's landing on top of you, and I even saw a few where he had a few things to say before he got right. up off the other yeah, kid. So he's, so he's, he's nasty. nasty. Now, 
there is there are questions marks about his footwork, sure, side to side ability yeah. and all that, and his athleticism. Uh, but you know that can be improved on in college in a strength and conditioning program. Um, so I, I think that's a solid pickup. Now the great thing about him is him and the other offensive lineman who's who's pretty raw. Um, I forget his name right now. Parker Clements. Parker Clements. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can redshirt this year, buddy. Oh, Drink. Well, Tech's got plenty. Been, yeah, yeah. Can I just say it has been a couple podcasts since the word red shirt has been uh, uttered out of Chris's mouth. All right, so, so there we days, have it. So these days, I, all right. So I edit and read all of Jason Stame's recruiting articles for Tech Sideline, and ninety percent of them, the recruit talks about, oh, "I want to go somewhere where I can play early," and I just roll my eyes every time I see it. But so imagine how hard it is to recruit on the offensive line for Virginia Tech this year, when they just started. Two sophomores and three freshmen on the yeah. offensive line. If you think you're playing early on the offensive line at Virginia Tech, that is not right happening. now you're not. You're <laughs> not going to. So, I so Tech is probably not going to recruit highly touted kids this year on the offensive line as a result of that. But they can redshirt the guys they do get, and maybe slightly lower rated guys, but who have high ceilings after three years of development or something like that. Yeah, take take a look at some of these uh, group of five guys. And see who you think you can develop in two mm-hmm. or three years and then, you know, go get a few of them. Yeah, an offensive line recruiting has always been a crapshoot for Tech. Uh, and I guess for a lot of schools to a certain extent. But, you know, you've seen Tech going to Ohio and beat out all the major programs for Aaron Brown, a four-star recruit. Yeah. And he was just not a good football player at all. But then they beat out VMI for Jake Grove, and he's an All-American who plays in the NFL. Darisaw didn't have any – FBS offers and and he's going to be an NFL player most likely. Um, so offensive line recruiting for Tech has always been kind of they don't pay attention to star rankings too much. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think I think Caden Moore, uh, you know, the, he's got some defensive tackle highlights in there. He he can he can run at times. Um, looks like he's got strong hands and he's mean. So uh, get him in here and see what you can do with him. Is he 6'2", 6'3"? Do you remember? They listed at 6'3". Right. 6'3", like 305. So he's probably actually 602. So he he definitely he plays tackle in, in high school, but he looks like a guard prospect. Definitely a guard, yeah. I would say. I feel like we missed an opportunity for this podcast. This is on me. We, we, for the last one, like a, a Christmas podcast, we should have brought Chris a red shirt. Just a red shirt that a he could have worn. Um, and yeah. maybe, always be red shirt. Maybe in 2020 we can just hold it up like this every time next to the, the, the red shirt gets brought up. Well, we, so. we can do it. We can save it for February after the final signing day. And one of the points I'll make is that this is so much youth in the program right now. Pretty much all these guys can no, red shirt. We're going to do a segment in February. Each recruit, I'm going to say the name. I'm uh-huh. going to give you both a red shirt, okay? And you either have to hold up. Your your thoughts. Whether is he, he going to red shirt or is he shirt. not going to red shirt? So <laughs> well, they all look like red shirts to me at this point in this class. Um, at this point, let's uh, let's move quickly here through a couple of more because we've got basketball to talk to and uh, and, and um, Texas to VT and Facebook Live questions. Three star defensive end from Georgia, Justin Beatles committed about thirty minutes or so after Caden Moore committed on social media again from the state of Georgia. Um, how do you see him fitting into this recruiting class for Virginia Tech? I like Beatles. Um, you know, there's like four defensive ends Tech have been recruiting. I actually like the two lower-rated ones better than the two higher-rated ones, in my personal opinion. Uh, I like Beatles. He's a 6'5", about 230. 
very similar frame as like Chris Ellis at the same same stage, and I, I see some similarities there. I can see him being a 6'5", 260-pound defensive end at Virginia Tech when he hits his peak. Yep. Uh, that, that's a really nice pickup in my opinion. I'm looking at – I think they've got about four defensive linemen left, three or four defensive linemen left on the board, and they're all listed in the 6'4 to 6'5 range. Now, uh, see, actually three of them are 6'3". Oh, yeah? But, and, and so you Is have, it a true 6'3", though? Somebody, but, but we don't know. Some, we don't, somebody Garbutt, brought it, Garbutt was listed at 6'3", exactly. and now he's 6'1". And, and even even Zion DeBose was listed on one website at 6'2 and three quarters. Right. He's 6'1". Garbutt's 6'1". Right. So, are these uh, so, guys, so you never truly know. I, I do think the, the kid from Texas uh, – which one, Bryant? No. Wooten? No. Anakoru? Yes. <laughs> he is I've tall. got the graphic of Anakoru. <laughs> um, he's tall. He, he's listed at 6'3", but he looks taller than 6'3", and yeah. I think that's because he's got such a nice wingspan. It yeah. makes him look like he plays at 6'5", or 6'6". But yeah. I, I do think they're going for a little more length uh, on the defensive, specifically a defensive end right now. Daryl Bailey, who has already committed, he's – Six five two fifty five. I don't know whether he they view him as an end or a tackle right. at, at this point, but uh, I do think they want some more length up there for sure. Yep. All right, and now the Texas two VT movement, which just continues to blossom. It was it was a big recruiting weekend for Virginia Tech. Will, as you said, for a lot of those um, those Texas guys coming to Virginia Tech, um, a lot of uh, Alec Bryant and. Um, Clinton, say it for me one more time. I'm going to pronounce it Anakoru. Anakoru. I think that's right. Robert Wooten, Latrell Neville. There's a great graphic on Will's Twitter right now for those listening, by the way, at Will Stewart TSL that literally has a map of, of just about Houston, the suburbs, and it has dotted where each of these um, six recruits are. They're a little more advanced. We'd be flashing it right here on the screen. Are there right six now? of them or seven of them? Take another look at it. Six. Six. Okay. There's a seventh who's like 150 miles outside of Houston. And some of them are, uh, Malcolm's going to pull it up here oh, on the television. Some of them are, uh, like, I think four of them are 2020 recruits, and then two of them are 2021 recruits. Correct. Including yeah. a Latrell Neville, 2021. He's a four-star receiver. But Alec Bryant has been a big name throughout the last couple of weeks. Um, what what did you guys hear about this recruiting weekend for Virginia Tech, the Texas 2VT uh, movement? Uh, well, I'm... 100% convinced that Bryant and Wooten will sign with Virginia Tech. Yeah, Bryant is uh, – I mean, he changed his profile. He, he didn't come out and say, I'm committed, but they, – they both, they both changed their Twitters and their profiles and everything to – To VT pictures. Yeah, it's, it's, and, yeah. It's, it's a done deal. And, and Bryant, man, concerned. Bryant in particular was extremely enthusiastic on Twitter. Yeah, so uh, uh, Anakuru is a guy – you know, so assuming those two other Texas guys commit, Bryant and Wooten – to go along with Beatles and Daryl Bailey, not knowing what position Bailey's going to play. They don't mean tackle to have either three or four defensive ends committed in this class. So yeah. do they have room for Anakoru to sign in February? Because that's when he's going to sign. He's not going to sign this week. I personally hope so. Now, in the past, when you know Hargrave existed and recruits didn't necessarily care whether they started as true freshmen or not. You take a guy like Anakuru, stash him at Fork Union or Hargrave for a year, get that extra year of development, still redshirt him in his first year at Tech. So eventually you'd have him as like a 23-year-old yeah, senior and he'd just be a completely dominant football player. Yeah. But uh, these days it's like some guys, it's like, oh, you want to stash me at a prep school for a year and you want to redshirt me, they, they get insulted by that yeah. if they don't think they're going to play as a true freshman. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily in the cards anymore, but that – Ideally, that's what I would do with him. And I, I would take him in this class because I think he has the highest ceiling out of, out of all of those guys. Yeah. 
And and he would you agree with this, Chris? That he he's one we're not as sure. We're we're pretty sure about Bryant and Wooten, but uh, oh I yeah, I uh, well I, his offer at this stage is not. It's it's an offer. It's a contingent upon whether Tech has room in the class, and they're not right. going to know that until February. Okay. Yeah. All right. Again, at Will Stewart TSL, go take a look at that map. Demetrius Davis is on that map. Uh, Brandon Campbell as well, and the Texas two VT movement continues on. Specifically, course, the Houston to VT. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, if, so if you look at the map of Houston, these guys are uh, Southwest, South, East, mm-hmm. and uh, Bo Davidson is from Katy, Texas, which is Northwest. So, uh, yeah, everybody's saying Texas to VT, but it's really kind of Houston to VT is what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the midst of studying. Uh, I mean, everybody knows there's lots of footballs of religion down in Texas, and there's lots of players. But I'm in I'm in the midst of actually studying uh, uh, the rankings of players that come out of the state of Virginia and come out of the state of Texas. So to give you some idea, in any given year, uh, the state of Virginia will will have about eight to ten four-star players and texas four or five-star players and texas will have 40 or 50 uh you know four to five-star players so the ratios appear to be about for every recruit in virginia there's like six in the state yeah. of texas i'd be really curious to read that i think that'd be a really fascinating read yeah and it's a i mean it's it's a heavily recruited state you sure know, oklahoma lsu they, they all come in there and recruit all right, well, that'll uh, put a bow on the recruiting talk here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, for more information on recruits, we've got it up on our website, techsideline.com. Chris has an article out. Follow us on social media and any new news. I'm sure Tech Sideline will retweet or quote or uh, or get it out there. So well, let's do this. Let's take a time out here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of basketball. We'll get to your questions and then wrap things up. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm, recording on Monday, December the 16th. Malcolm Stewart, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Evan Hughes along with you. Just talked about Caleb Farley, the coaching staff for Virginia Tech, recruiting, and now we shift from the gridiron to the hardwood in the basketball floor. Virginia Tech picking up two wins last week, or I guess technically one, but counting the weekend with Sunday as two. Uh, Virginia Tech grinding it out on uh, Wednesday night against Chattanooga with a win over the Mocs. And then yesterday, Virginia Tech catching fire in the second half, knocking off the defending Big South champions in Big South, who had a lead against Virginia in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament last year. Oh, Gardner-Webb, yeah. Yeah, the running Bulldogs. Uh, Chris... It seemed like it was a really good bounce-back performance for Virginia Tech, even with the win against Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And lo- they looked like the normal the normal hokey squad yeah, was, on Sunday. It was better. Uh, like Mike Young gave their energy level a B after the game. thought they were a little better defensively. Uh, I thought although Gardner-Webb missed some shots that ACC teams would make, except yeah. for maybe NC State. Even a lot up close. Uh, yeah. Um, so... So I mean, there's a long way to go, of course, but yes, it was a better performance. And and even if you delve down to individuals, like uh, 
Naheem Aliyan had a career high twenty two points against Chattanooga, and did he score? He may not have even scored. I don't think he scored. Yeah. Uh, in this game against Gardner, so you go from twenty two points to zero points, and and that's just how freshmen are. Yeah. Um. So you never know quite what you're going to get, but but I thought overall it was an improved performance. Uh, Tyrese Radford with a double double. Mm-hmm. The only six-one guard in the country who can do that. Jamon Gordon man. will be proud. Your question in the uh, press conference got made into a hype video. Did uh, you see that on no, Hokies men's basketball? I didn't. Yeah, Chris had a question. It was, not many guards in the uh, country can have a double-double, and then they turn it into a hype video with Mike Young talking about it. I was like, <laughs> shout-out Tech Sideline. Um, but, yeah, so, Will, one thing that stood out to me – were you there yesterday or did you, yes, did you watch? The one thing that stood out to me and one thing I asked Coach Young at halftime was the bench – especially after Hunter Couture didn't play Wednesday and it was a limited bench. The bench yesterday really stepped up with P.J. Horn in foul trouble. It felt like John Ogiaco. Ogiaco got to play 21 minutes. 34 to nothing, right? Off the bench, yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Wilkins had 13 points off the bench. Couture was in double figures. It just felt like the bench took steps forward against Gardner-Webb. Yep. Yeah, I mean, 34 nothing. Bench scoring speaks for itself. I showed him the plus-minus numbers at halftime because we get the halftime yeah. box score up in the press box. And the plus-minus numbers for the bench were, were much higher than the plus-minus numbers for Tech starters in the first half. Yep, yeah. And in general, the starters didn't play particularly well in the first half, but the bench played really, really well, and that's why Tech was up by 10. Yep. Not yeah. a whole lot I can add to that. Uh, I just um, love me some Hunter Couture. You know, I mean, he's that, he's a glue guy. He's a guy that should be here all four years, and you know, I think he just—I think he just makes the whole team better. And it was good to see Wilkins uh, hit some shots from the outside again. Um, somebody brought up—I think it was Chris—brought up the point that that Wilkins is 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 at this point in his career is a better player. And this might sound kind of silly, but he's a better player when there are better players around him. I specifically asked him that after yesterday's game. Yeah, what'd you say? It. He said yes. Did he? <laughs> he said. He said. Yeah, I play off other people. Is basically what he said. Yeah. I, I forget his exact quote, but uh, he doesn't. He lets the game come to him, and whether the game comes to him or not is dependent on the players around him. Exactly. And last year he had two NBA players around him, uh, w- with uh, J. Rob and the Kill Alexander Walker, and and Med's a fringe guy, and mm-hmm. Blackshear will be a fringe guy. It's possible that maybe all four of those guys play in one NBA game at least. I mean, it's possible. Uh, so when he's on the court with those four guys, who are you not going to guard? One of those four or the freshman? <laughs> That's right. right. So it's a little bit different this year for him. But uh, as, as the guys around him improve, he will become more productive, in my opinion. And I thought uh, whenever Ojiako comes in, I watch him closely, you know, and, and, and I thought he looked uh, – I don't want to put thoughts in the guy's head, but I thought he looked a little frustrated early on. Um, he uh, he got a lot of rebounds, a lot of putbacks, that sort of thing. Um, so what what I'll be looking for him as he develops is, are they getting him the ball in the post and is he making moves? We've seen that some, and I hope to see it more yesterday, but we didn't. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, the Tech players were in a good mood yesterday in, in post, post-game interviews. Uh, I, how they do it is uh, it's actually in the women's uh, – Women's basketball teams lounge is where they do post-game interviews. And they put two of them at a table on the front next to each other, and then a third player is generally sitting over on the couch. And so it was uh, Couture on the couch and then Wilkins and Nolly next to each other at the table. And it's a free-for-all. You can go around and interview these guys nice. however you want. Right. Um, 
So I was the first person in there, and I asked Molly what it was like to have a 6'1 guard who can get a double-double. And he said, uh, first of all, Molly was mad that he didn't get a double-double. He got taken out With like four, two, I told, two four and a half minutes minute. left, and he was just like, but, uh, you gotta have that coach on the bench who keeps track yeah, of that yeah. stuff and who says, "Coach, don't take him out yet." But anyway, so he finally answered the question about uh, Radford, and he he said he was like Dennis Rodman. And I don't know how I'd feel if somebody compared me to Dennis Rodman, but if you talked about my rebounding game compared yes. to Dennis Rodman, I'd be quite proud. Um, Points to Nolly for knowing who Dennis Rodman yeah, is. I, yeah, yeah, right. Quick, exactly. quick, total side note: I watched the Rodman thirty for thirty last week and was blown. There's a Rodman there is away. It is unreal. Oh, I mean, well, you, Rodman you was to, unreal. <laughs> <laughs> you guys need to see it. Oh, he's he's my all time favorite NBA player. Okay, really? uh, the the first like first basketball Sega Genesis game I ever bought was NBA Live '95, and I'd always play with the Bulls. And this this was impressive technology for back then. But if you played with the Bulls and you played a full season, Rodman's hair color would change every game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which was cool. that was impressive technology back back in nice. 1995, man. Um, but then uh, Wilkins, we weren't even interviewing Wilkins at that point. He was just sitting next to the Nolly when we were talking about Radford. And he, I, Wilkins, Wilkins goes, oh, yeah, I got to guard that dude every day. So I went oh, over wow. and started talking to him. And he was like, I was like, so what's it like guarding him? And he was like, you just, every, every time the ball's in the air, you have to find him. Yeah. He's, he's like, he never stops. I'd, if I was playing for, if I was playing pickup ball, I'd pick that dude first, and then I'd pick Wilkins second, because <laughs> you know? I like both of them. But uh, Radford is is there. There have been a number of times this year where there's always that, not always, but there's often that guy who, while everybody else is gathering and starting to go for the rebound, he's already there. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's one of those guys. What game was it? The Chattanooga game, or was it the Duke game, where Radford came in out of nowhere and tipped the ball back in, Yeah, and there was a bunch of defenders at the rim. I don't even know how he got it to go. Yeah. But, he, I mean, 10, bo- ten boards what, for a guard is... What you like about Radford is he knows who he is. And so many players don't these days don't they don't necessarily know who they are. He's not a good shooter. He just made his first three pointer yesterday, so he never takes them. Mike Young, after one game earlier this year, he was like, "Yeah, he shoots seventy three percent of the field because he, he, he never know, takes he, a bad. He, shot. he never takes a bad shot. Yeah. Right. Uh, he he knows where his bread is buttered. Yeah. Um. All his shots come from the lane, right by the basket, and and those guys generally he's going to get the most out of his ability because he yeah. knows who he is as a player. Yep. Yeah, certainly uh, just a, a joy to watch. And and Mike Young really raves about him and his practice ability, mm-hmm. Tyrese Radford. What you see on the floor is what he puts into practice every single day. So, yeah. um, anyway, so the Hokies, uh, by the way, it was announced that the Hokies are the 16th best team, not in the top 25 of this week's AP poll. So, <laughs> um, well. So they're ranked forty first in, in the country. I, I think and, so. Sixty uh, second in the NET rankings. Yeah, which, the, the, which is is that uh, that a good place to be right now? It sounds about right. Um, they've played four quadrant one games and won one, won of, them. one of them. Um, and Clemson is actually a quadrant three game. Right. If, if Clemson could move up to quadrant two somehow, that, that, would, that help. would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. A Clemson, Q2 they, road win. They look pretty bad right now, though. Yeah, they so, got stomped. By I, I, I think, I think by the end of the year, you know, not many of us were expecting to beat Clemson before the season started. I think when by the time March gets here, we're going to look back and say, Beat Clemson, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's looking that way. Uh, so worth mentioning, too, one thing Mike Young did say, and the uh, coach Mike Young said in the press conference, is that Tech has basically two games until ACC play over the next two weeks, and that That's is 
Uh, VMI, VMI on Saturday, and then Maryland, Maryland Eastern, Eastern Shore, Shore on December 29th. This is like spring practice for basketball. Coaches. So he was saying that you, you the, can go a whole week and just coach your team and focus yeah. on you. Uh, yeah, I guess you got to give him a couple days off for Christmas. I, I'm not <laughs> sure, Mike, just from seeing his mannerisms when people ask him about the break, I don't know that he's – I think he'd give these guys a very, very limited Christmas break if it were up to him, yeah. right? Because uh, he sees this as an opportunity – to just focus on tech. You got a whole week. Or you got this whole week and then after this weekend you've got pretty much another whole week before right. the next game. So those are big opportunities to get better. Once you start ACC schedule, you know you're playing playing twice a week, your your attention immediately turns to that next opponent. Just just scouting. And, right, right. And, yeah. and so you can get better, but not as much as you could get better right now when you can just focus on yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is like spring practice for coaches to a certain extent, except you have to deal with exams in Christmas. Yeah. All right, that'll uh, do it for our basketball talk here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. We are over an hour at this point, but this is a this is a long one, and uh, we'll we'll keep it that way. I'm sure we've got some great questions ready to go here. Let's turn it over to the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. Malcolm, how was your exam today? What's going on? Uh, my exam was easy. I had to get I think a thirty percent for an A in the class. So. There you go. That's a good position to put yourself in. Hey, take arts classes if you need easy grades. <laughs> Duly noted. Anyway, uh, we'll start with Matt Williams. Thoughts on the Texas to VT movement, Houston maybe. Uh, how did it start, and what does it mean for future recruiting in the age of social media? It started. Can, can, can I take that one? Sure. Because yeah. it's it's pretty easy, and I think I've actually already said this. Uh, started with Bo Davidson. What is Bo's job? He's technically an offensive analyst, right? But he he's he's a defensive line specialist too because he played defense at defensive end in college at North Texas. Okay. Um. So he he's a guy with experience on both sides of the line. Uh, I'm I'm guessing he's been doing a lot of work with Tech's defensive line now that Charlie Wiles is is no longer coaching. He might even be the interim defensive De facto, line coach. Yeah. yeah. He's from Katy, Texas, which is west of Houston. And as we discussed earlier in the podcast, um, that's where that's where these Texas recruits are coming from. So I don't know. Everybody knows Bo Davidson's a connection. I don't know how how Bo was able to how Tech was able to get traction mm-hmm. using Bo Davidson. I, I, really, I don't have the answer. To I, that I, question. You know, he's never been in front of the media. I've never met him. I don't know his personality. There's no way um, Fuente's going to tell Katie's you. But Katy's a powerhouse. Yeah. So. And I and he spent time in that state, and he probably knows a lot of the local people with the major high schools around there. Yeah, but but so so, so that's that's the short answer. And and as far as uh, you know, there there's a lot of football players in Texas. It's a heavily recruited state. And as I said on our earlier podcast, I don't think you can go wrong recruiting offensive players out of Texas. You got to pick your spots with defensive mm-hmm. players. These guys at Tech is is looking at Bryant and uh, Wooten. Mm-hmm. And Anakwaru, um, the, these are not mid-upper four-star guys that have offers from all over the place. Uh, you know, again, it gets back to how tech, Tech's bread and butter in Florida years ago was was picking up guys that didn't get the offers from the major schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said previously, I think you need to pick your spots defensively because if you watch Demetrius Davis highlights, you'll see that defense appears to be optional in Texas. And this was – right. And this was uh... – <laughs> This was always the proper strategy for Virginia Tech for this defensive class. Yeah. Obviously, Bud Foster's retirement really limited what Tech could do defensive recruiting this year. Yeah. Because all the way from July until this last week, no defensive recruit knew who their coach was going to be if they came to Virginia Tech. And it's very, very hard to, to recruit that way. 
Um, so all, always it was, I mean, two of these guys, Tech offered like way back in January and February, but really didn't get any traction with them because of the coaching uncertainty. Now, so Tech, they've waited, and they've gone back in now that they have coach uncertainty, and they're picking up guys that were committed to other schools that are now decommitted. Bryant was, de- Bryant was LSU, Bryant is that right? was an LSU commit. And Wooten was? Wooten was a Missouri commit. Right. Um, and, and everybody assumed the Barry Odom connection was why Wooten was considering Tech, but obviously not. Apparently not. Um, Anakoru mm-hmm. was a Texas Tech commit. Yeah. Um, so Virginia Tech. Oh, oh, and the, and the Beatles. Beatles was an Arizona State commit. So, so I I made that statement about getting getting guys that are the next level down. That may not be completely fair with these guys. I mean, it's, it's not. I mean, the, if, these are if you're these are, an LSU commit, you're these you're, are legitimate recruits that yeah. could have been. Well, two of them were playing A guys. I mean, Tech yeah. offered them back last winter, right? Almost a year ago, right? They just couldn't get any traction because of the Foster situation. Yeah. I mean, first it was before even before he announced his retirement. I started writing about it last February, yeah. about how his contract's expiring at the end of this year. And we're not going to be able to recruit over the next year unless he gets a contract extension. Right. So, 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 but, but let me let me further address the question because the second part of it was this age of social media. Mm-hmm. The whole TX to VT hashtag is is go ahead and look at it. It's it's trending. <laughs> part of the reason is Alec Bryant's so busy with it. <laughs> um, but it it's kind of hot and it's kind of cool right now. Get those two guys, add them to the class. Keep Demetrius Davis, who was a who was a rock star down there. Um, this, this this thing could have legs to it, you know. It'll have legs as long as Tech keeps Bo Davidson. It's yeah. a, it's, he seems like too good of a coach, though, that somebody's not going to hire him at some point as a full-time assistant rather yeah. than just an analyst. Yep. Probably somebody in the state of Texas, if I had, well, if I had to guess. And, and you need to start having success with these Texas guys also. Right. You know, and they need to see that you can go to Virginia Tech and be successful. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I think anything that far away has a limited shelf life. Yeah. Um, even in C to VT. That's 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 the next state next door, right? Well, that had a limited shelf life. Too. Right, they lasted like two years. Exactly. That's why right. I use the phrase. So it's hot. I, and it's I, sexy I don't. Th- right I don't now. think it's. I think Tech will. It's obviously going to do well in 2020. I think they'll get at least two of those 2021 guys. Um, but I, it'll probably fizzle out after yeah, that. Yeah, just because. I bl- believe it was Bryant last night tweeting. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, he was talking about the followers, and how how many he's been getting, and then Trey Turner. He was at about like six thousand, seven thousand. Then Trey Turner jumps in and goes, "Bro, just commit. You'll get ten thousand. Like <laughs> no problem." Yeah, yeah. And I was probably like, right. "He's probably right." So Trey's a, Trey Turner is an excellent recruiter for Virginia Tech, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next, well, next question. Um, let's go with Dale Kaiser. Uh, will Tap coach the whole D line for the bowl game, or will he have a D line coach by then? That, and what are some uh, names? That, you know, that's a good question. Uh, we won't have a D line coach by the bowl game. Um, and in fact, bringing in an outsider and expecting them to coach the game plan and get up to date on the terminology and and the play calls and things like that between now and the bowl game is not possible. Yeah. So Tap will be there. But he'll be there. He'll he'll he he'll start learning the defense now. But expecting him to be able to take a full time of of a position by the bowl game is unrealistic. That's why it's I'm sure it's probably going to be Bo Davidson, uh, in my opinion. Man, and, and Tap's going to be that defensive assistant anyway. Um, he's going to learn a lot about defense while he's he's here. I think in effect he'll basically be the assistant defensive line coach. Um, and at some point in the future. A few years down the line, he probably will be Virginia Tech's full-time defensive line coach, but he won't be right now. And and 
he can't really serve in that role either going into the bowl game because he doesn't know he doesn't know the defense. He doesn't know the terminology. He understands. He probably doesn't really know the players yet, right, right, personally, right? right I mean, correct. Um, so he he understands the basics because he played at, at Virginia Tech, but still that scheme has changed since he. Well, well all right. For well, example, Bud, Bud reworked it around. Well, of course, Tap well, he, was here for that. Bud's reworked it several times. Well, yeah. he was here that time, but he wasn't here for the other reworking. Yeah. Remember, uh, Tech used to line up based on short side of the field and wide right. side of the field at least as far as you know defensive linemen and quarterbacks go and tap was one of those guys he showed his versatility attack he actually played both defensive end positions during the course yeah. of his career but now tech just does left and right defensive end so he probably got here and and so he's probably like okay who's playing stud for you and but and hamilton's like oh, we don't have a stud uh, we anymore we play left end and right well, end so he was like uh what and, and not to mention this doesn't affect him as a d-line coach but you've had the whip transition into more of a nickel position well, so there have been changes right um yeah. so so a lot of changes since he left so I, I don't i don't see him filling that role quite yet i i would say with all the coaching turmoil prepare yourselves for tech being a little raggedy in that bowl game so <clears throat> Uh, excuse me, Nathan Joseph. Do do y'all think Fuente is the guy to close the gap on Clemson? Why or why not? Man, if if you're trying to close the gap on Clemson, you're I, not going to be a happy fan. Or right, you're not going to be. And he, I'll tell you what, the the least in, not not least important, but a more important job for closing the gap on on Clemson is head fundraiser. Yep, we're about what are we forty million behind Clemson in revenue? Something and like then they have fewer sports that they have to support. I mean, and, that's and, just and the, not. And these are programs that used to be equal in revenue five, six, seven, eight years ago. Right. You know, before Clemson really started rolling. Right. Right. I so. just, man, just, just don't, don't think about that when you get up in the morning. Just, just let's win the coastal. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> if you go through your life and your goal is to is to catch Clemson and become a better program than Clemson, I don't. I'm not saying that shouldn't be a goal. But it's not a realistic one it's, in my in, in this modern and this the way the landscape is right now, in my opinion. I, I, I will say this: it's not a yes or no answer to the question. It's just um, I I still think that in addition to all the the standard stuff Clemson has that sets them apart, the the tradition, the huge staff, all that stuff. One of the keys that Dabo has unlocked is making football fun. Mm -hmm. It is fun to play football at Clemson. Most places, it's not fun. Um, take that statement however you want to take it. You know, what does Will mean by that? What, can I read between the lines there? Just just read between the lines. It's just not fun at a lot of places. I think Dabo's made it fun, and, and that makes people want to stay around and commit to the program. Mm -hmm. I think that's the little bit of extra juice he's got over a lot of other places. And, and as far as the money thing goes, let me throw this in there. I'm pretty sure that Brent Venables, their defensive coordinator, will make more money next year than Virginia Tech's entire defensive staff combined. Hmm. So I'd be willing to bet. Good question. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, let's do a basketball question from Ooh. Ryan Haynes. Uh, Mike Young has done a lot with an undersized team this year. Should we expect more of this in his recruiting, or do you expect him to recruit more size at the four and five? Chris, Chris, I think more one. size. Uh, he said this twice. He said it once off the record to somebody I know, and then like the very next game, he said it in front of the media. He's not comfortable coaching a small lineup. Now, for somebody who's not comfortable doing something, I think he's done a pretty solid job of it so yeah. far. But the fact of the matter is he wants two big guys on the court. Like, P.J. Horn should be playing the undersized four role for him, not 
not playing center. Um, so he's going to want to recruit another Ojiako. I think Aluma could play the four or the five. I think he'd probably prefer to play him at the four. And for context, Aluma is the transfer from, from Wofford who is sitting out this year. That's right. And transfer. Do, do we know off the top of, it, of our head how many uh, years Aluma's going to have? Two. Two. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's a pretty good player, I think. Um, so he'll be a good fit next year, and he'll he'll know the system already, of yeah. course, have already having played in it. But I, I think Mike Young has showed enough this year that, uh, you know, I think I called it an article teaching an old dog new tricks. Uh, like maybe Mike Young didn't know he could coach with, with a small lineup like he has. Uh, but it for sure is outside his comfort level, and he said that. Yeah, he's just flat said it gives him heartburn to, to – to coach a small team. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, he's done a good job of something that he supposedly isn't very good at. Yeah. Is, but uh, I don't see that. I don't see that happening long term. Now he'll he'll do it if he has to. Yeah. Like if they don't have success recruiting big men. Uh, but ideally next year, man. Ideally, Ojiako is ready to play twenty five minutes a game or so next year, and then they can play Horn some minutes at the four. Yeah. Um. I I think that would put Mike. Young and his comfort level more so than he is right now. Good question. All right, let's do one more from Wayne Shepard. With all the LB talent, linebacker talent we have, do you see an opportunity for Tech to go to a three and four to get them on the field together? If so, which spots do you see Ashby, Hollyfield, and Tisdale playing at, and who do you feel is the fourth, Artis or Barno? Yeah, I don't, I don't see Tech doing that. And even your three-four defenses, most of the time these days, are more like a three-three because teams spread the field and they have to take a linebacker off and bring in a nickel back. And a lot of times, you'll see one of those outside linebackers standing up. There's 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 so much gray area between a three four and a four three. First of all, they're not even four threes anymore. Hardly anybody ever puts three linebackers on the field at the same time these yeah. days. It's a four two. Four, everybody two, five. four two five because everybody's got to run that nickel back because everybody's going three four wide receivers. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of gray area. I mean, there are times this past year where Tech looked like they were running a three four when they were standing up a defensive end and dropping him back into coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Hamilton has played in both systems. He's he's had his own system. Uh. That was pretty much based off tech system, but he had some tweaks too when he was at UVA wise. He played in the Nick Saban, Bill Belichick three four when he was in the NFL, um, and, and you know also a guy like Daryl Tapp would have played in multiple schemes throughout the NFL. Tracy Clay's has used four man and three man lines. Um, I think in year one of Justin Hamilton, not a whole lot will change. That that's just my gut feel. Yeah, and I, and I think direct to directly answer the question, I think I think he really wants to talk about linebackers in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, you'd have Dax and Ashby in the middle, and you would have uh, Alan Tisdale and possibly Amari Barno on the outside. Right. We don't know anything about Barno. Right. You know, um, we we don't know. I don't even know what size he is. I know he's he's a taller, lanky guy. He was like guy. six six two forty. Yeah, I mean, and that's a guy. So let's say you were quote unquote running a three four. That's a guy who could be your, your, your stand up pass rushing defensive end, drop back as a linebacker. Um, it's just, I, I think, I think what Chris is saying is you're just past the age where you're going to cart a traditional three four out there with with four defensive backs. Um, right. It's, it's going to look like a like a five two four or a four two five. You know. Yeah. To me, it's more about how the defensive linemen are used, where they're aligned whether it's one gap or two gap. And I, I just – I don't think we're going to see a lot change. I, I think 
I think if you have a sharp football eye and you know the intricacies of football. Which uh, I don't. <laughs> right. Um, like Brandon Patterson will write articles for us next year, and he'll put on film of the different things Tech is doing with the defensive line that, that none of us will notice. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, that's why I'll be really interested to see, get a few games on film next year, and then Brandon Patterson will do an article and say, okay, here's what Tech's doing differently. I think that's yeah. going to be a really interesting article. It's how are they going to use those defensive linemen differently than, than they have been. Yep. Are we foreshadowing to when I ask you what's on TSL this week in August, and that's going to be one of the articles is Brandon Patterson? and uh, uh, Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would definitely say that's going to be an accurate statement. Great questions, as always, on uh, Facebook. Thanks for everybody chiming in. Uh, going with that question, though, Chris, um, what – I know this is a broad question. You might not know all the answers to it, but now until the new year, what does content look like for Tech Sideline for well, our subscribers? Um, let's see. It's 2.30. I've been working on an article today, but this podcast has taken almost an hour and a half, and it's cut into my time a little mm, bit. So, okay. so I don't know if I'll have it ready today or not, but it's about defensive end recruiting, uh, where I think Tech is at with the coaching staff changes, uh, some of which we've talked about on the podcast today. Um Brandon Patterson had a Tracy Clays out article earlier today. He's going to have a Daryl Tapp article out later this week. Um, and then, you know, we'll have some signing day coverage on Wednesday. Uh, I forget which day we're going to do the game preview. I, w- I want to say maybe the Friday or maybe or maybe the day before uh, the ball game. Because, uh, like, nobody wants to work too hard that Christmas. I, yeah, the Christmas <laughs> is on a Wednesday, and, I, and I'm going to work as little as possible that week. Yeah, so we'll see. Okay. We'll yeah. see. I, I know what the rest of this week is going to look like. But after that, we're not really sure. Cool. Well, uh, I, this has almost been an hour and a half. This is my final podcast for the 2019 calendar year before I go home for a month or so. Um, but did want to just take a moment. I know you guys might do a couple podcasts here before I get back. But just to kind of put a um, put it in perspective just how fantastic a 2019 year it was for the Tech Sideline podcast. And, um, you know, to Will, to you building this um unbelievable set and the vision you had for this to adding Malcolm and having YouTube and and Facebook live and and questions. And even thinking back to January when I was like, Hey, what do you think about doing the podcast, putting a my phone at the end of the table and doing Facebook live to think about how far it's come in just a year that long ago. Yeah. It seems like forever. It does, doesn't it? But that was just, you know, in January, February. So I just wanted to give you a, a moment and just say, thank you for what you've done for the podcast this year. And thanks to everybody for listening and, can't wait for a 2020 with more TSL podcasts. Uh, we will keep pushing to make it better and better and more interesting and, and add other things in. Pretty soon we'll have so much flair up here. You won't even be able to That's see right. us. We got, really. we got the yeah. Christmas packages over there in the corner. We do. Well, I know, again, they might be doing some podcasts, and we'll keep you posted on that. But uh, for me and everyone here at Tech Sideline, wishing all of you a, uh, a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and hope everyone uh, spends their holiday with uh, friends and family. Be sure to follow Tech Sideline social media. Stay up to date with recruiting uh, signing day on Wednesday, recruiting, all that more at Tech Sideline on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. If you're watching this video on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. Any final words, gentlemen? I don't think None so. whatsoever. I think hour and a half podcast. Yeah, I'm I sorry. Think we yeah, pretty much said uh, everything we could so we So we've got Chris and I will be here <laughs> yes. over the break, and, of course, Malcolm will be around. So uh, honestly, I haven't wrapped my head around it yet to figure out what we want to do. Um, yeah. Uh, it'll be a step down without you. 
<laughs> no, it's gonna look different. Yeah. Well, I'll be back actually one week in January. We'll keep you posted on the on the podcast uh, schedule. But again, happy holidays to all. Thanks so much for all the support that you have the Tech Sideline Podcast in 2019. Uh, for our fantastic producer Malcolm Stewart on the podcast center, managing editor Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho Will Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Have a happy holidays. Again, this has been the TSL Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm.